0: You did just fine. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to have you with us this morning. My Bible's open to the book of 1 John chapter 1. We'll be starting there in just a moment. We are delighted each of you could be with us. We're thankful for our guests. We're thankful for God. So much God does for us. So much that sometimes we take for granted. And we're glad we can be together to bow our heads, to open his book, and to worship him as he so deserves let us remember next sunday one week from today starts our vbs and so it's going to be a busy week starting wednesday night after services we need a little bit of muscle to take all the chairs and stuff out b2 so if you can stick around and help us that would help a lot and then thursday friday and saturday we're going to have a whole bunch of people coming in decorating things getting ready for vbs if you'd like to help you had not signed up just Talk to one of us. we find a slot for you. I'm glad for you to do that. A lot of us remember when we were kids going to VBS. That's powerful stuff. A lot of great ways to learn. A lot of great ways in the concentrated area to help. And for us adults, we're bringing in Kenny Moore. Kenny's been here several times, and he's going to be walking us through the lessons about faith. Foundation of who we are and what we are. And so this is something for all of us. And we encourage you to come. Bring your kids. Get your grandkids do all that we can to come. It really makes a difference, and we're so glad we could do these things. Good to be together. His name was Evan Kane, and he was a surgeon in New York City. In fact, he was chief of surgery for 30 years, and he was kind of one of these innovative doctors. He introduced playing music during the surgery, thinking that would just calm the patients, and for years and years, he thought that giving people complete anesthesia for simple surgeries was too much. And he tried to talk to his different patients as they'd go in for different surgeries, let me just give you a local anesthesia. But nobody would agree to it. Nobody would, everybody was afraid of pain. Finally, he found a patient that agreed to do this. He's going to take out his appendix. Dr. Kane had done 4,000 of these surgeries. The patient was wheeled in. He's given local anesthesia. The typical time before that was about a week in hospital to recover. After this surgery, the patient got up just a few hours later, spent a night in the hospital. The next day, he went on his way. Everything was fine. The year was 1921. And what was remarkable was who the patient was. It was Dr. Kane himself. He took out his own appendix using the local anesthesia. Now, most of us would never do that. Even those of us that are skilled in the medical field probably would not want to think about operating on ourselves. But every single day, all across this country, and yay, all across this world, people are doing surgeries on themselves. It's a physic, not a physical surgery, but it's a spiritual surgery. They're working on their hearts, trying to deal with, what do I do with the guilt of sin? Last week, as we were together, we talked about the subject of grace before salvation. And in that lesson, we talked about without the grace of God, without the pardon and the mercy of God, none of us are going to make it to heaven. Not one of us can be good enough. Not one of us can do enough. Not one of us have have ever completed what God wants us to do. And so in that lesson, we talked about how faith and grace work together. It's not all God's part. God's part is grace, our part is faith. Well, the next logical step in a series like this is to talk about what happens after salvation. And what we wanna talk about today is that we need grace after salvation just like we need grace before salvation. In fact, what we're going to look at this morning is it's just as important after salvation as it is before salvation. There was a group of young people at a uh, kind of like a young people's conference. All of the kids were members of the Church of Christ. There was 185 of them gathered. And they were asked a question. And all 185 were to respond. And what the question was all about was, what is your greatest fear? And you might think at, at a teenage perspective, they might say, well, getting into college, finding someone to marry, you know, there's so much scare out there today because of school shootings and things. You might think it'd be one of those things. But the number one answer out of 185 kids connected to the Church of Christ was missing heaven. And that's interesting. It's interesting, first of all, that they would have that spiritual perspective, but it's also interesting that they were concerned about their salvation. And how many times do we hear that comment, I'm just not sure I'm going to make it, or I just don't feel saved. And I dare say if we were were bold enough and we were honest enough to ask in this assembly this morning, how many of you fear missing heaven i think we'd be surprised how many hands would go in the air and so when we talk about our subject today this is something that's paramount to us as we think about the idea of grace now we we remind ourselves that once we've been cleansed we often get dirty again and once we have been right by the truth we often become wrong again and once we were innocent we tend to become guilty once again. I heard the story of a, of a man being baptized. The man was very rough, very raw. And as he was baptized, as the preacher brought him out of the water, the man raised his hand to heaven, and immediately he said a cuss word. What do you do? What, do, what are we supposed to do after we've been baptized and we sin? Are we supposed to get baptized again and again and again? And so that takes us to the study of the book of 1 John, if you will. In in the book of 1 John, I want you to notice in chapter 1 that John presents us with this very situation. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1. You'll notice in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, you see the word if right away. Most of the verses start with if. Verse 7 is but if. If is a conditional. If is an idea. You know. If I was 20 years old. You'd say Roger you passed that a long time ago. Okay. If I had a million dollars. Well you don't. If I could hit it, but no, you can't. So if it's kind of a conditional, it's kind of an idea thing here. Now what we notice is he begins with a negative. Verse 6 is negative. Verse 7 is positive. Verse 8 is negative. Verse 9 is positive. Now let's go through and notice these verses, and then it will lead us to our thoughts about grace. He says in verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's the negative. The very next verse is, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. So when I have been baptized, and I sin after that, and sadly we will, what am I to do? I'm to walk with Jesus. I'm to do what God wants me to do. Now, the very next verse, we go back to a negative. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and truth is not in us. I don't need grace. I don't, need, I don't sin anymore. Well, he says you're, you're lying to yourself. And so verse 9, the positive, he says, if we confess our sins, that's prayer. That's what you do. After you have been baptized and you have sinned, you pray to God. You confess your sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once again, there's grace. And then in verse 10, he wraps this up by saying, If we say we have not sinned, that's past tense, I've never sinned. Well, you make God to be a liar. Because God said in Romans 3, verse 23, in other places, all have sinned. So for me to say I've never sinned, you haven't read your Bible. And that's simply not true. And so this morning what we want to do is we want to look at three passages that help us understand grace after salvation. The first one's going to be found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll get your Bibles and turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. And let's look at these verses here as it talks about this idea of grace after salvation. It begins in Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight the paths for your feet so that the the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue after peace with all men and after sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it, verse 15, that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. And there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it for, so he sought it with tears. And there you'll notice there in verse 15, the expression, the grace of God. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That is our thought we're going to look at today as we consider this concept here. Now, if you will, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5 that phrase see to it is one word in the greek language and it's the same word used over here in first peter chapter five about elders it says in 1 peter five verse two shepherd the flock of god that's the same word see to it that no one comes short coming up short we know that expression sometimes when you're starting off and you're newly married and we've got several folks like that and you've been buying and buying and buying and you have been paying attention to your budget, and all of a sudden you got more bills than you got money. You've come up short. Okay? We see that in other avenues. When, uh, when somebody's running for office and he did not get enough votes to win, he came up short. We see that in school when it comes to time of graduation. We have several of our kids who graduated. It's time for graduation. And the school administration said, you're short some credits. You don't get to graduate. You came up short. Now, in this setting, we're talking about spiritually. We're talking about the grace of God. Now, if you're short on money, get another job, you can work on that. You're short on credits, go to summer school. You can pick that up. You can do something about that. But when you're short of the grace of God, you're on your own. You don't have God's help. You don't have God's favor. And you simply miss out. And so to come up short means simply to fail. And so what this reminds us of, as we think about other passages in our Bible, that as a Christian, it is possible to be disqualified. You ever played soccer and seen that old red card? You're sitting out of the game because you got the red card. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified. You see, after salvation... I still need Jesus. And if I don't stay with Jesus, here is the apostle. The apostle said, I could lose my soul if I don't stay with Jesus. And then Paul would tell the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, you have been severed by Christ, severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Grace. And once again, what happens is if you fall from it, I don't have it anymore. And that illustrates that concept. Now back in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, look with me if you will, verse 16. Because to illustrate this, he pulls a story from the book of Genesis. He tells us about Jacob and about Esau here. And we remember Esau and Jacob were brothers, they were twins. Esau was the hunter and loved by his father. And it says in verse 16, it says that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sowed his own birthright for a single meal. He's using this as an illustration of someone who fell short of grace. Don't be like Esau. Don't make choices like Esau made is what he's trying to illustrate for us to see there. And so what he did was he traded his birthright for a single meal. Biblical principle. We look at it I have no idea what that means. Well, back in the Bible times, especially the Old Testament, birthright. The one who was born first, the first male of the family. He got half of the inheritance. The rest got divided among the rest of the males. Okay. Also, if you were firstborn, it meant that you were going to become the patriarch of the family. The family genealogy, the family would come through you. You would become the head of the family, and through that would come blessings. So it was about position, and it was about possessions, and it was about privilege. There's nothing you could do to change the birth order. See, I have an older brother. I couldn't compete with him saying, you know what, we're changing the birth order. That came by God. We can't do that. I've lived all my life with middle child syndrome. You know, the first child, he gets all the photographs. The last child gets all the photographs. The middle child gets the hand-me-downs. That's what happens. But now what we see here is from the story and what we learn from Genesis 25, Esau was out hunting. He came home, and he was famished. He exaggerated and said, I think I'm going to die. So his brother, being conniving, tricked him. He said, I'll give you something to eat, but you've got to give me the birthright. And what that means is we're changing the order here. And what that means now, I become the one of privilege. What that means is now the family comes through me. What that means is it's all about me. And so when we look at verse 16 that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright. Notice the expression, for a single meal. This was not a meal ticket for a whole semester at college. This was not for a case of food. This is not all you can eat for the rest of the year. This is one meal. For one meal, you're going to give up all that God has blessed you with and all that came with that. And so what we see is that Esau exchanged something that was very special for something very common. What would he do the next time he's hungry? There's nothing else to sell. He He sold the most important thing he had. He exchanged that which was spiritual for a single meal, that which was material. His decision was rash and thoughtless. And he got himself into a situation that he could not get himself out of. As the next verse tells us, he sought it back with repentance. He even cried about it, but it was too late. It was a done deal, and his brother was not changing things. That's the idea. And so God is using this illustration of Esau... To, as he talks about, see too is that you don't fall short of God's grace. Now, Esau did not join the American Atheistic Society. He didn't get all the Bibles collected and burn them. He didn't go around and burn church buildings. What did he do? He changed something that was special for a simple meal. And for you and I, we may sell our soul for a night of sexual pleasure. That's not right. We may sell our soul for an alcoholic drink that we shouldn't have. For our soul, we may exchange it for gossip. Or we may exchange it for a lie. Or we may exchange it by ignoring our conscience. We may exchange it by not listening to God. And in all this, what he's saying is, see to it that you don't come short. Because you need God's grace. And if you come short... You're not going to have it. You're going to be on your own. And you're going to be no different than the people on the other side of the cross before salvation who don't have God. Don't come short. Now, our second verse we want to look at in our lesson this morning comes from the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. And once again, in Titus chapter 2, we read about this concept of grace. Titus 2 now begins verse 11. For the grace of God, it says, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. The grace of God. See, it doesn't happen just when I come out of the baptistry and now I'm done. I never need God's grace again. After salvation, grace does things. And first of all, he tells us he appeared. He appeared as Jesus. That's how he appeared. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth. In Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus Christ is Grace. For the grace of God, it says, has appeared, bringing salvation. That's what it brought. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Verse John tells us that he is a propitiation, the satisfaction for all of our sins. But from this, grace instructs us. It teaches us. You've been given grace. It'll teach you something. When the first thing it teaches you is to live, differently and he gives us some points here he says to deny ungodliness and worldly desires we are to live differently and then grace teaches us to live better by this we are to live sensibly righteously godly grace teaches us that now again i've used this illustration i think i did last week when we talked about a police car pulling you over for driving too fast and you deserve the ticket because you're going too fast And the policeman comes up to you, and he's having a good day. He's in a good mood. He says, you know what? I don't feel like all the paperwork. I'm going to let you go. No warning, no ticket. Just be careful. Then what do you do? You smoke your tires in front of that police car. You throw gravel on top of his hood. You speed out as fast as you—no, you don't, because the next time he pulls you over, you're going somewhere. No, he gave you a second chance. So you learn better, you become better, you're changed by that. That's what grace does. And then what grace does, grace it teaches us to offer grace, to extend grace to others. And let's look at two verses that show this. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 32, here the apostle says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiven each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We remember when Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 6 how to pray. He says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven others. And then if we do not forgive others, we will not be forgiven. And that's an interesting thought right there in the Bible. You get old Jonah. And you remember Jonah? God told him to go one place and he went the other direction. And then he was in that storm, swallowed by that big fish or that whale, and God could have just ended his story right there. The story of Jonah is that he became fish food. But God spit him out. Told him to go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah went and he had a pity party and a fit the whole time. Because he didn't want to give Nineveh a second chance. Even though God gave him a second chance. And you remember that story of the prodigal son? When he came home, the father came out and celebrated with him. Where was his older brother? He refused to go in. He could not extend grace. Now, for some reason, and I don't know why, but sometimes among us, the people who ought to be the most gracious, kind, and forgiving people who have tasted that because God has given that to us. We can be the most hard-nailed, hard-headed, nailed hard stubborn people, black and white, throw the book at somebody. And we need to remind ourselves of this. Grace teaches us. In Matthew chapter 18, as Jesus tells a story about a man who owed 10,000 talents, and he could not repay, and the master forgave him and released him of that debt. Well, that's not the end of the story. It goes on. Because then that man, that very man who was given grace, that very man found somebody else who owed him some money. Now imagine the story in our times. Imagine somebody owes you 10 million dollars. and says, "I can't pay that. My credit card won't let me go that high. What can I do? And you feel sorry for this person." And tears are running down his face. He says, "You know what? It's just money. I'm going to forgive you. That man goes out and finds somebody who owes him $5. And he says, I want my $5 right now. And the guy says, I don't have it. So he starts punching him in the face. He starts beating on him. And all he owed him was $5. That's the story Jesus is using here. And so after he says that, he says, Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you, as Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers? Notice the expression. He handed him to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. In other words, I I forgave you $10 million. You can't forgive this guy $5. So guess what? I'm taking that back. I'm taking it back. You got to pay me $10 million. I don't want to bust your chops until you pay me $10 million. That's what's going on here. And so that again illustrates for us, of all people, we ought to be generous and forgiving and graceful, as God wants us to. And then this passage reminds us that we're looking to Jesus. We're looking to Jesus, the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us. Again, that idea of what grace is all about. Now, our third verse comes to us from the book of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And here Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 1, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace of God. You see that? Completely on the grace of God. Sometimes we have taught this five step way of salvation believe in Jesus, repent, confess, be baptized, and you're going to heaven. It's like a ladder and i'm just climbing my way up to heaven and i get to go to heaven cuz i did those five things that god told me to do well that leaves the grace of god out of it and we forget these things and we put too much emphasis upon ourselves and what we have done here we're fixing our hope completely on jesus It's not on ourselves. It's not on our accomplishments. It's not the things that we've done. God did not provide a staircase. God provided a Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And so our hope is on this. And when we fix it, it's something that we do on purpose, and it's intentional, and it's desired. Those are all the ingredients found within that. Grace. You need it before you're saved. You need it after you're saved. And grace is something that should illustrate your life. People always say, you know what? I love Christians because they're not hard. They're not judgmental. They're kind. How many times have we heard, how many times the stories come up when there's been some tragedy, something terrible has happened, and people say, well, you need to come to service. I "I, I, I love God, but I'm afraid of what the church is going to say. Child born out of wedlock. Somebody got arrested. Something bad has happened. And they're sorry as they can be. And they reach out for the grace of God. But I fear all the comments. I fear all the stares. Why? Among all places you ought to be safe. Ought to be here. All of us need the grace of God. All of us do. Story of an older retired couple went to Gatlinburg. And they're sitting at this little cafe in Gatlinburg eating their lunch. And they saw this guy, a really dignified man, walking around from table to table to table. And the husband said to his wife, I sure hope he doesn't come over here. You ever have situations like that? I have. And sure enough, he walked over to their table. Where are y'all from? He says. And they say, well, we're from Oklahoma. Well, welcome to Tennessee. I'm glad you're in Gatlinburg spending a little bit of days with us. They he says, what do you do? And the man says, I'm a retired seminary teacher. And the man says, oh, you teach preachers how to preach. He pulled up a chair. I've got a story for you. And the old man groaned, oh, here comes another dumb preacher story. There's so many of those. He says, you know, that mountain right outside your window here, there's a young man years ago who was born at the bottom of that mountain. His mom was an unwed mother. And all his life, people asked him, Who's your daddy? He went to school, and all the kids said, Who's your daddy? He'd go to stores, and people would see who he is, and they'd say, Oh, you're that kid. Who's your daddy? And that man feels so embarrassed and so ashamed. He sat by himself in the lunchroom at the school. He wouldn't be out there at recess because he feared everyone saying that. Well, they got a new preacher at that little country church that boy went to. And One Sunday, the preacher went up to him, not knowing really much about him, and said, son, who is your daddy? And everybody looked. And he could see the expression on that boy's face. And the preacher says, I know who you are i recognized it you are the son of god and i recognize that because you look just like him and that boy had never heard that before smile came on his face and that just changed his life and that older man telling that story to this retired couple said had that preacher not said that i don't know what my life would have been like and then went on to another table talking and the older couple were just in tears about that story. That was that man's story. And they called over one of the waitresses and said, well, who is that guy? He said, you don't know who that is? And they said, no. They said, that's the former governor of Tennessee. And he accomplished something, didn't he? He didn't let what people say defeat him. All of you are children of God. Now, the world wants to put us in categories. And the world wants to kind of step on us. Satan wants to pull us down. We are the children of God. That's special. And that reminds us of the grace of God that God has for us. God knows you can't do it. It's like a little child trying to reach up to get something, and he may jump and jump, and there's no way he can get that. God knows that, and God's going to help us. And that's what grace is. You need that before you're saved, and that's what baptism will lead you to. But then you need that afterwards, and that's what walking with God will do for you. Because we have grace, why do I want to go back to the mud? Because we have grace, why do I want to live the way I used to live? Because we have grace, God's saying, you're special. You are my children. And that will change our lives. And so those are our thoughts for us. You put those two lessons together, grace before and grace after. It ought to make us thankful. God could have looked down at us like a little turtle on its back, and we're just struggling and struggling, we can't flip over, and God just said, sorry, got yourself in that mess, get yourself out. It's not my problem, but God helps us. And so this morning, all of this lesson applies to all of us. Some of us may be on the before side, and you need to realize what you have to do to be saved. And you need to realize that God has his part, and that's grace, but God wants your part, and that's faith. And we encourage you to go back and listen to that lesson last week to talk about that concept, what's involved with that. But then for the rest of us who have received that grace of God, we need to realize that we're on this side of the cross, and we still need God's grace. We need to pray when we sin. We need to be changed because of this, because of the grace of God. We ought to be a better people, and people ought to see it in our lives. That's our thoughts hope it helps you hopes it makes you realize man we're we're blessed doesn't matter how much money is in your pocket doesn't matter what's going on this week in your life we are a blessed people because god thinks so much of you to save you if we can help you in any way why not you come forward now so we stand as we sing Amen.